Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to They Started It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that takes you on a journey from business idea to reality with a range of inspiring, dynamic CEOs and business leaders. I'm your host, best-selling author, entrepreneur and founder of About Time magazine, Angelica Malin. And in this series, we'll be discovering what it takes to make it as an entrepreneur, from mindset to hard business lessons with some incredible, inspiring guests. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Jelly Malin for all the behind the scenes of making the podcast. Now, let's find out how they started it. So I'm delighted that my guest today is Lisa Johnson, who is a business strategist who helps ambitious people create passive and semi-passive income streams. She's a multi-seven-figure strategist that was in 30k in debt with young twins five years ago and now makes four million pounds a year and travels the world with her twins, which sounds like an absolutely lovely life. Lisa, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show today. Can we just start? Can you just tell me a little bit in your own words about yourself and maybe what a day-to-day life looks? like for you? Yeah, sure. So because I have twins, uh, they are now 10. Um, my day is always different, depending on where I am in the world, because we do travel a lot. Um, but when we're just having a normal day at home, I will generally get up around nine o'clock, see them to school, and then anything could happen. I could be um, speaking to one of my mastermind clients for an hour. I could be being interviewed. I could be writing some of my book. Um, There's always something different going on. And that's why I love this life. Like when I was in corporate, which, you know, was only five years ago, it feels like a a lot longer. um, My day was the same all the time. You know, it was a bit groundhog day-ish what you were doing. And I didn't love what I was doing. And now I get to love what I do. Um, And my day is always different. You know, last week, I had three in person events. Um, The week before that, I was in New York. The week before that, I was in LA with some other clients. And so I get to do the things that I love most, which is be with people, um, teach people how to make money, because I think it's especially women a really big deal. Um, And also, you know, travel with my kids as much as I can, um, and spend as much time with them as I can. And that's what it's all about for me. I mean, it sounds amazing. And I'm totally with you. I think for me, that's why nine to five never really had much appeal, because I love the idea of being able to travel and having different days, different weeks, it keeps things interesting. So I'd like to go back to the start. If you could just tell me, like, how did you end up building this business? What was that journey into your coaching business? Yeah, so I had, you know, I I grew up in council housing in the UK. So we never had any money, always living hand to mouth. And I grew up that way, not knowing anything different and was bullied all the way through school um, for being poor because I got a scholarship to a private school when I was 11 years old. And up until then, you don't really know any different. You think everyone's the same. But walking into that private school, I already could feel I was different to everybody there. Um, And they knew it straight away. You know, I was the person that with the secondhand lunches, having the little card so that I could get free lunches. I was the person with secondhand uniform. It was just, 
I could tell I was different, so could they. And so I got bullied from day one. And so I left really early. So I left school without any qualifications. Um, you know, like the worst GCSEs that, that you can think of, no like A's or anything like that. Um, and went straight to work because I didn't want to be in an educational environment anymore because of that. So I clawed my way up a corporate ladder from £35 a week as an apprentice um, up to eventually a risk analyst in an investment bank. So I did pretty well, you know, doing this climb. I just worked really diligently to get where I was. And when I was in corporate, I looked back and thought, you know what, I've done okay. I'm on like 60, 70,000 a year. Like nobody in my family or any of my friends were were doing anything like that. You know, I'd left and gone to live in London so that I could be nearer work. And I felt like I'd done really well considering where I'd come from. And then I accidentally got pregnant and it was twins. And so everything had to change. At first I thought, well, they'll just fit into my life. You know, I was going through a divorce at the time. But I was like, they'll just fit into my life. It will be fine. And what a ridiculous thing to think. Like anybody that's been a parent will know they do not just fit into your life. You will move your life around to fit into theirs. And that's exactly what happened. So I went back to work when they were five months old. I was very career driven at the time. Um, And I realized I was never going to see them. You know, when I left the house at six o'clock in the morning, they were in bed. When I got home at 10 o'clock at night, sometimes they were in bed and I never saw them. And so I knew that something was going to have to change. So I decided the easiest way to do things was to look for a position near my house so that at least I could see them before and after. So a nine to five kind of thing. And the only things going were like office junior, assistant, PA type jobs, which meant going right back 15 years previous to where I'd started all over again. But I believe that you can rewrite your story. And so I was like, okay, let's rewrite it. Let's start again. So I took that job and I got to see the kids, which was great. And while I was there, I got a bit bored because I'd had quite a lot of responsibility in investment banking. And now suddenly I was, you know, like getting cups of tea for people. And so thought, well, what can I do that will stop the boredom rather than just, you know, looking on the internet for clothes each day. I was £35,000 in debt because going through a divorce, going from a £60,000 job to a £20,000 job, having two more mouths to feed. And I was like, how can I also pay off that at the same time? And so I started a business. And I didn't know anything about business. No one I knew had businesses. You know, I didn't have anyone to look up to who had ever had a business. But I thought, I'm going to start one anyway. And I decided to become a wedding planner because... It looked fun and it looked quite glamorous. Um, It isn't, but I started it anyway. And in the first year, I got 13 full planning weddings. But at the end of that first year, I had a new boyfriend and he said, well, let's sit down and work out how much money you're making because you might be able to leave your nine to five and spend more time with the kids doing your wedding planning. I was making £1.15 an hour. I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I'd started a business not having any idea about businesses. And so... I'd realized at that point that I either needed to learn about business properly and quickly, or just realize that there was always going to be generational poverty. There always had been in my family. Maybe it was just meant to be that way. And I would just live hand to mouth. And at least I'd see my kids. And I thought about it and I thought, no, like if somebody's going to stop the generational poverty, it's going to have to be me. Like I'm the person that's going to stop it. 
And so I decided to learn everything about business. I went to every free webinar. I read every book from the library I could get my hands on about online businesses, especially, um, and just started doing my research, all the basics I should have known, you know, ideal client, money mindset, how to have a marketing strategy. And then I started putting things into place, especially ideal client, which I didn't really understand before. And within about eight months, I changed the business around. Like all of my ideal clients were coming through the door. I was charging three times as much as I had been previously. I was making as much as I had done in my corporate career, in my wedding planning business, and I was doing really well in it. And so just carried on doing that for two or three years. And people kept coming to me and saying, how have you done this so quickly? Like, how have you been successful? It's really hard in the wedding planning industry. And so I started teaching them just the bits I knew for free. Just like, well, let's look at your ideal client. Do you know, you know what you're doing here? Or do you have a marketing strategy? What about social media and all of these things? And people started saying, I'm now making loads more money since the stuff you taught me. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Then people started coming to me that were nothing to do with the wedding planning industry and asking me the same questions. I started telling them, they started making more money. And so five years ago, it dawned on me that actually maybe my gift is to be able to teach business in a non-jargon, step-by-step, easy way. And so I gave my wedding business away. We were going to sell it. But in the end, I decided to do a competition. I gave it away to somebody that otherwise wouldn't financially be able to have a business. And I started my strategy business. Um, This time, everything I'd learned from before, like in the wedding business, I'd already kind of like learned the foundations in that business. So this time, everything just went smoothly. I made, you know, £100,000 in profit in the first six months, 220000 in the first year. And it was working really well. But people were telling me, like, you're really successful. You're on all the magazines. You're on the stages. And I didn't feel successful because I felt like I'd given up a nine to five job to work from six o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night on my business. And that was never what business I wanted business to be. I wanted freedom and I didn't feel free at all. Um, and so I started thinking, well, you know, I'm working 80 hours a week that's not good. And it's not healthy. What can I do? Is there a different business model that I could use to change that? And so I spent more than half of what I'd made in that year on learning, decided to go and learn everything I could about different business models, like learn from the best in the world on things like passive income, semi-passive income, cryptocurrency, like anything you can imagine, I tried to soak it up. And then I started implementing in my business, started adding in different types of passive income. Some of them didn't work, got rid of them straight away. Some of them were too much hassle. Some of them were too risky. And others I'd add in, refine it, and then try again. Within So if you think of the end of that first year, 80 hours a week, I was earning £220,000. At the end of year two, I was working 30 hours a month after adding in these passive income streams, and I was earning over a million. And that's when I knew I had it, had the perfect business model to be able to travel, have freedom and make a lot of money. And from then it just went up. And I know you said, you know, I was making 4 million a year. This is how quickly it's moving. We now make 6 million a year since I sent you that. So it's just, it's just changing all the time. But um, 
it meant that I was then able to teach other people how to have a business model that actually works for them. Because I think what we generally do is we look at what everybody else is doing. And so I thought you had to have one-to-one clients when you first started. Um, and that's the way it had to be. And actually, it doesn't have to. You can have whatever business model works for you and around your lifestyle. Mm. Thank you so much. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I've, there's so many things that I want to ask. I think one thing that stands out for me that I'd love to ask you about is about self-trust. Because for me, it sounds like as you are navigating these quite challenging different situations and scenarios and unexpected things, somewhere in there you were trusting yourself to make decisions that were right for you. How do you think we can cultivate that self-trust and self-confidence in our decision-making? I think it's really hard, especially when you first start, because you are taking risks all the time. You don't know what's going to work out and what isn't. And sometimes there were things that didn't work out, um, but it was still worth the risk. Because how I think about, like, when it comes to self-trust, how I think about things is you're going to get things wrong. Like, don't expect that your intuition will always be right or that what you've read will always be right. You're going to get things wrong as you go along. But everything's data. Everything you do gives you more metrics to know whether you would do that again or whether you would do something differently or how to, you know, take what you've already done and add to it to make it even better. And so self-trust to me comes from remembering that it you won't always get it right. And it's okay to get things wrong and it's okay to fail, if you like. You know, that word is, is one that's overused because we don't ever really fail. We learn from it. But we can't, we'll never trust ourselves if we're expecting to get everything right all the time and for everything to be smooth sailing. It won't be. You're going to make some horrific mistakes along the way, but it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. And like forgiveness as well. I think it's it's around mindset, isn't it? That it's it's okay. There's something around like having a business that makes you feel like it's not okay to make mistakes. Whereas in like other, you know, if you if you're working for someone else and you make a mistake, that's something that happens. It maybe throws your day off, but that's okay. But there's something yeah. I think around like the identity of an entrepreneur that you're like, I am an entrepreneur and I, I should know everything. And it is hard sometimes to like internalize those mistakes and not completely beat yourself up with it and the visibility of it all like every mistake we make is played out everybody sees what we do because we're so visible online because we're taught to be visible online that like you know if you launch something for instance and it doesn't work the fear is that people go it didn't work so she's no good at what she does when actually Mm. it's really important that we be transparent enough to talk to people about how you know oh, I put this thing out there and it didn't work. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and have a look at the way I launched it and see if I could tweak that so that it works next time. Because it's really important that everybody starts being more transparent so that nobody else further down the line starts feeling that pressure of never being able to fail. You're not a good leader if you get everything right. Like that's not the sign of a good leader. That's the sign of something, someone that's just not admitting their mistakes. Yeah. Well, on that note, is there anything that stands out to you that's perhaps a mistake or a misstep that you've made in the business? And perhaps, well, like, what did you learn from it? So many things. <laughs> so many things. Um, I think that one of the first things I did, I hired a coach who wasn't I don't know how to say it, wasn't a good person. Um, she like she she cost a lot of money, like tens 
of thousands of pounds and ultimately tried to make me fail in my business because she I think she felt threatened by someone else coming along and doing the same thing as her and that taught me so much it took it was the best lesson I could have had and people often say to me but you spent 30,000 like that's such a waste of money it was the best 30,000 I've ever spent because it told me right from day one who I don't want to be and that how important integrity was for me in this industry. I knew very quickly that I would never choose money over morals from from the the encounters that I'd had with that person. I knew very quickly who I wanted to be and what I would never do for money. And that was brilliant because once I knew that, I had a real strong moral compass and started talking about integrity in the industry and started calling out some of the things that are just not great in this online world and that stood me out so other people started going well I felt these things as well I'm going to go and work with this person because she obviously has felt those things too people could relate to it I wouldn't have done that if that hadn't happened to me I wouldn't have known that integrity was such a big deal to me and that I wouldn't do some of the things that wouldn't allow me to sleep at night like I wouldn't have known. And so it's really important that when we do these things that are missteps, we take from it the learning that we need to. Another thing that happened in the first six months of my business is I lost £27,000 on Facebook ads, on a Facebook ads manager. It was my fault. I didn't do my due diligence. I got caught up in all the hype of, of somebody shouting about how they'd made a million this and they'd helped somebody made six figure this. You know, We see it all the time now. And I got caught up in it, didn't didn't check, didn't ask anyone for a testimonial, just believed everything that was written and lost money very quickly on Facebook ads. And that did two things. That made me always be great at due diligence from then on. I'm really good at, at making sure the person is telling the truth about their claims. Um, I'm not scared to ask to see proof of things. It made me more transparent with how much money I was earning, I started putting my Stripe accounts online and not just telling people how much I was earning, but showing people how that was made up because nobody was doing that. They were all just saying, yeah, I seven figure this, six figure this, well, show me how. And so I started doing that, which really helped people to trust me. And it also meant that I didn't use Facebook ads again until I'd made over a million because I was too scared. And I would have used Facebook ads and used a lot of money on Facebook ads and this way, because of this this kind of scariness of it, I didn't. And it meant that I organically made millions with, you know, not having to spend a penny. So it actually was a great thing for me to have lost that money in the beginning because I would have spent a lot more than 27000 on ads. But I didn't. So it took me a long time. In fact, only last year I started playing with ads again. Um, and at the moment, I'm still not using them. I'm very cautious with that kind of thing because of that experience. So all of these experiences are supposed to happen. Like everything that happens makes you a part of who you are. And I can definitely look back and see all of the bad and the good that has happened to me in not just this business, but in life has shaped how I do business now and why I'm successful now because of the things I've learned. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This season of They Starst It with Angelica Malin is proudly sponsored by Funderbean, a global investment and trading platform. Funderbean serves 25,000 investors from 133 countries and has over 60 companies from Europe and Asia listed on the Funderbean exchange. Funderbean's marketplace operates 24-7, 365 days a year and has helped private companies raise more than 25 million euros in funding. Funderbean is a female-founded business founded in 2013 by Kaidi Rousselep, a former CEO of Nasdaq Tallinn, who we'll be hearing from later on this series. If you'd like to explore the world of startups and growth companies, visit their website www.funderbean.com and give them a follow on social media at Funderbean. Thank you to our sponsors, Funderbean. And again, like coming back to that growth mindset of like, even when things go wrong, what, what can we learn from it? Where are we? In terms of bringing money into the business and, and helping get more people signing up for your courses and your coaching and your one-to-ones um like your masterminds what do you think has been the most effective routes for marketing yourself is it having affiliates is it um instagram or your podcast or is it a combination of everything i feel like at the beginning it was definitely just being visible so the only thing i did in the first six months of my business is i opened a facebook group and i went live every day I didn't have an email list. I didn't have a website for the first two years. There's a lot of things I didn't have, but I was visible. I, even if there was no one there, I was visible. And so that caught on. People got used to me being there and that trust happened because of it. I think that really helped. Um, I think that being really clear about my messaging has massively helped. Um, later on, what, I was doing like, I don't know, 300,000 pound launches on my own organically doing well and then started using affiliates well and started using them differently to how lots of people I'd seen use it, do affiliate launches um, and that changed the game for me so that took me from a 300,000 pound launch to a 1.7 million then 2.5 million pound launch very quickly um, and so that you know I think affiliates definitely played a part but I think if I'd have done affiliate launches the way I'd seen other people doing them I don't think it would have worked for me. Um, I think I had to do them in a different way to everybody else. Mm. I think the, the thing with affiliates and like the online marketing space generally is I think some of our associations are things like 
like MLMs and some and like Herbalife and things like that, yeah. where perhaps you don't have like a huge amount of trust in the person that's contacting you because you know that they're an affiliate. And I think that's kind of changed our relationship to being sold stuff through the internet a little bit. So I suppose what's like really special about what you do is like, how can you bring a model that's similar, but in an authentic way and like a way that allows you to trust in the product you're being sold? Because I think we automatically kind of seize yeah. up. When we're sold I think that's really true. And I think we can do that with everything. Like there's going to be whatever kind of marketing we look at, whether it's launching, you know, how people sell using affiliates, however we do it, you are going to have seen people do it in a way that doesn't feel good, that feels a bit icky. And I think we can take how people do things wrongly and use the same model but make it really, really in integrity and really work for you. And like that's what we did with the affiliate model. We took what I'd seen that didn't feel that good, if I'm honest, um, and we changed it. So instead of using people with massive lists who were pretending to be your best friend, you know, like my friend is selling this thing, instead of doing that, we decided to only use people that had done our program. And instead of using people who had these massive lists of names, we used people who had like less than a 1,000 people on their list and it worked better because people trust in people that have had results from your program rather than are just shouting about your program so for us it worked really well because all of the people that have been through my program had people had seen them change really quickly to making money and to being the expert in what they do and so already their audiences had seen that and then them saying, well, Lisa is behind that because I did this course. I did this program. It was much easier for them to then trust in me, somebody they didn't know, than it normally is when you do affiliate launches. But it's the same with everything. Like, I felt a bit disillusioned with launching in general. Um, the, the tricks, if you like, of launching used to be just nice, you know, not that manipulative kind of ways of doing things, but they work. So you do things like a 24-hour bonus for fast action takers. You would do a bit of FOMO selling, you know, like everyone's in the group, they're all having fun and you're not in there, come on in. And those kind of things, they've been around for years. They're a little bit manipulative, but they're not anything that's going to like do too much damage. But then what I saw happening is those tactics not working. And so people doing shadier and shadier things, you know, invisible offers, um, things where you don't even know what you're buying. But if you don't buy it today, the price will go up by a thousand pounds. And then it will go up by another thousand pounds the day after to incite people to just buy things that they don't need through sheer panic. Now, all of this kind of selling was around in the 80s. It got banned. It was known as pyramid selling. Um, there were market stores that were doing this kind of, you know, you don't know what you're buying, but you're, you'll be buying something that's worth a lot more, believe us, type stuff. And it all got banned because it was so shady. And yet I saw people bringing it into the online space, dressing it up as fun. Yes, just a bit of fun. We're just doing something a bit different. And I knew why they were doing it. I could see the manipulation behind it. And so it made me worried that if people start getting used to these manipulative tactics that we have in launching and selling online, then what they're going to do is they're just going to find shadier and shadier things to do so that people buy their courses because it becomes like almost desperate. And so last month, what I decided to do is to prove that you didn't need any tactics at all, I was going to do a launch of a brand new product. So it wasn't something people knew about. 
with no tactics, not even the the real basic ones, the FOMO selling, the 24-hour bonuses, like nothing at all, just this is the course, this will help you, with a refund policy so that if people came in and they decided they didn't want it, they could come out, with um, me telling people, don't worry, the course will definitely be back again this year and it will be the same price, like taking away any tiny little bit of manipulation that there could possibly be. And we did a multi-six-figure launch. And I hope that that's proved to people that you don't have to use any of these things. Like if you have a good product that people need, people will buy it. You don't have to trick them into buying. I'm seeing people using NLP and hypnosis, which are normally great tools, like things that can really help people. I'm seeing people use it selling like in their lives, using suggestion to get people like hyped up, almost cultish behavior, getting people to buy things. And it's worrying and you don't need it. Mm. I think that's why people are like, there's so, there's such a mistrust in coaching generally. Like for me, it feels like coaching is such an unregulated term and it can be, it can be like a cowboy industry because anyone can just call themselves a coach and then they can try and tell you, sell you something and, and use all those, those things. It's true. Um, so th- there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask. I suppose one is around leadership. So you've now got to a stage that you have a team and you're also traveling a lot. And like, how do you, cr- how have you created a company culture where you can lead, but also leave, lead the life that you want to lead with the freedom that you intended with the business? Yeah, one of the first things we decided to do, because I didn't have a team until 18 months ago, so I just tried to do it all on my own and then realised I was being ridiculous and I was going to have to let go of a few things. And one of the things that I realised right from the beginning is I was going to allow people to make mistakes. Because if people make mistakes, then they'll try things. They will, you know, be pioneers. Whereas if they're scared to make mistakes because they might be sacked, then they're just going to stick to the basic minimum that they need to do and not try anything new and not come up with new ways of working. And I wanted to make sure that our team were the pioneers in the industry. And that really worked well. So my team's always thinking of new things and looking to you know, what we could do that's even more in integrity and that kind of thing, which I love. Um, I got an operations manager way before I a normal person would because I knew that I wanted to travel a lot and I wanted somebody to be there to kind of hold the fort, a proper right-hand person. Um, And that was another risky move. But I do think that you have to take risks in business if you want to go quite far. So it was a risky move. I did it and it worked. Um, And all of the people that I've brought into the team are either family, friends, or people that were clients. So I've been able to see their journey and see, and know that they will have my back. And I think that's really important for me to be able to trust a team to do those kind of things. And because I want the company to be one where people are happy and productive, we have, you know, a no limit on holiday. They can take as much holiday as they want. They can't see me traveling the whole, whole time with them not being able to do the same. So we mm-hmm. said right from the beginning... No, there is no holiday provisions. You take as much time off as you want, as long as the job gets done. And we have a four-day week. So everybody takes a four-day week because I want a four-day week. And I don't think it's very fair to have people working when I'm not. So, yeah, and it's worked. It's worked really, really well. And there's obviously been a couple of people that haven't worked out. You're always going to get people that either just don't fit into the team or just don't have the required skills that you thought they did you know, that's always going to happen. But we try and do things with grace. We try and, you know, help people as much as possible when they don't fit in. 
Um, and yeah, it's worked out really well. Like the team has been so far so good. Um, and it does mean that I feel safe knowing that things will still continue happening even when I'm not in the business because I take off most of July, all of August and a part of September as well as the whole of December every year. So it's a long time to be off, but it's non-negotiable. Like these are times that I want to spend with my kids. Why do you think, especially for women, that making money is so important and and so empowering like you must be one of very few self-made women millionaires in the UK like that is a rare thing to hear about why for you do do you feel like that's such an important thing to kind of own it's really important that's why I talk about money so much and and people are often like why are you always bragging it's not about bragging it's because I couldn't see anyone that was like me who had done it. It's only when I started to see people that were that I knew I could. And so I want others to see what I'm doing and realise they can have it too. Um, And I think it's important because I think we're often on the back burner when it comes to making money. You know, I look at my parents' generation and it was always the men that understood the finances. It was never the women. And yet they're smart enough. Like, you know, these women are amazing. They're doing amazing things. They could easily manage the finances. They could probably make more money than the their male counterparts, but they're not given the opportunity to. And so I think it's really important for freedom as well. There are people in relationships that are stuck in relationships because they can't afford to leave them. And that should never be the case. Like what money gives you more than anything else when you're a woman is freedom, freedom to make choices of where you want to be, who you want to be with and the kind of life that you really want to lead. And so for me, it's just so important. I want everyone to be able to make money, men and women. But there is a I I really want women to be more educated about money in general and how they can make their money work for them. Um, You'll often see men who have made money using that money to make more money really well, which is true passive income. Women don't. They're worried that the money will go. They have more mindset issues around money, and so they keep the money, and they don't use it to invest, when actually that's exactly what they need to do to secure their own futures. Mm, Yeah, I definitely think we take less risks with money, and also on the investment side, like there's definitely an educational gap with not knowing how to invest money um, and a confidence with investing in, in yourself. I did want to ask about that because you mentioned about how you took half of what you made and you invested it in learning. How did you have the confidence that that was going to pay off? Because for me, that feels like a pretty risky move to do that with your income. It's really risky, but everything I've done has always been risky and the risks have generally paid off. And so I'm okay with taking risks. But I suppose the only person you're betting in, when you invest in yourself and you invest in courses and masterminds and all of these different things in learning, you're not really investing in the mastermind or the courses. You're investing in you. You're investing in your ability. You're betting on yourself. Um, I'm not very good at trusting other people. I'm not very good at betting that other people will, will make it. But I am absolutely can bet on myself because I know that how relentless I am. Um, I have resilience. I will continue to try and try and try no matter how many times it doesn't work until it works. And so it's never a big risk if I'm learning something because it means I will use it. Like even if I don't use it right from the off or it doesn't work straight away, I'll, I will make it work for me. 
Mm. How have you personally built up that resilience? I think because of what happened to me as a child. I think because I was bullied so badly, my whole childhood was chaotic. You know, parents divorced when I was like 10, went through bullying. I was ill a lot of the time. There was so much going on in my childhood that I had to be resilient. Otherwise, I never would have gone back to school. I was 16 when I had a knife held to my throat um, by a bully at school while everybody else kind of jeered her on. If I didn't have resilience, I wouldn't have come back from it. Like... I needed that resilience. And I think that when I look back now at the bullying, which was such a bad time for me, I can see how that has benefited me now. Mm. Like that has made me such a stronger person. And when things happen as they do in business, people can be, you know, not nice in business. I've been bullied online. I've had trolling and all the rest of it. It doesn't, it's like water off duck's back. Like, like when you've already been through something as a child, nothing like that will scare you as an adult. Mm. I can also imagine if you've been confronted with bullying face to face and physically so much, probably online bullying in comparison, you're like, you're behind a screen and there's that distance. Yeah. Whereas when I get kind of nasty comments, I get really affected by it. And yeah, it's it's hard to build up. I have been affected by it because when I first got bullied in the first year of my business by a, a few coaches that grouped together, including the one I'd paid money to, that had a massive effect on me because the first thing it did was take me straight back to being a child. So every psychological, you know, trauma that had been with me then came straight back and, and I, I, it really affected me. I had to have quite a lot of um, mindset work and doing a lot of inner work on myself to be able to heal from that trauma as a child so that things don't bother me as much as an adult. But I believe in mindset work. I, I really believe in therapy and um, the ability to 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 change your past and how you view it. Like, I used to be really angry at people that bully. I used to be really angry at the kids that bullied me when I was younger. It's kind of got me where I am. And that, that first coach that I talked to you about, she said to me in the first six months, I'm going to make sure you never work in this industry again. Now, what that did was made me go, watch me. Like, without that sentence, I wouldn't be a multi-seven-figure business person because that kind of negativity will just spur me on to prove somebody wrong. And I think you can use this negativity in your life, whatever you've gone through, you know, everyone's gone through something, whether it's been ill health, whether it's been like a loss of a parent, there's so many things that people go through that are hard adversities, use it, use it to get where you are, instead of just pretending it never happened, that kind of toxic positivity of let's never talk about anything bad, decide that that's going to be the thing that's going to spur you on to be who you really want to be. And that's kind of how I use all of these things that have happened to me. And that's where I think the resilience comes from. Mm. Is that coach still coaching? Mm. Yeah. Do you ever just feel like naming and shaming? No, there's no need. I believe that when people do this kind of thing, like I said, I used to be angry at everybody, especially people like her, um, until I did inner work on myself and had trauma coaching myself, now I 100% believe that people who act like that towards other people, they're not happy, they're going through some stuff, you know, they've had trauma in their lives to be able to to not be nice to somebody else. I actually believe we're all just six-year-olds running around behaving as our six-year-old selves because of whatever happened to us back then. Um, and so it's very hard to be angry with anybody that 
you know, has probably not had a very nice life if they're acting in, in a not great way now. Mm, mm, for sure. Uh, something else I'd like to ask is, having had this amazing journey from coming from this very humble background to like where you are now, that must have had quite an impact on your personal relationships. And like, I'm sure lots of it really positive, but you must have also had quite a lot of negative as well, because you're a, a different person, perhaps than than the, the world that you grew up in. How has that affected things? It's interesting. I don't think I am a different person. And I think that's helped. I think I've stayed exactly the same person, mm. just with more money. I think I meant, yeah, maybe I meant a different person financially, perhaps, is yeah. what I meant. It hasn't really changed who I am. And so it's not really caused me much negativity. I mean, I've had a couple of friends that have tailed off, but they've actually been people that were in, in the business world who, you know, when you suddenly get more successful, it can cause people to, to look at themselves and not like where they are. And so it can it can make them behave differently towards you. But in my personal life, a lot of my family still live in council housing. Um, I'm able to treat them to lovely things and holidays and things like that. And that's great. But they love their life. They've always loved their life. They've never wanted more. Um, they're happy with their lot. And I think that I'm kind of the same. Like, people often say to me, if it all disappeared, like, how how would you cope? If it all disappeared, I know I would be happy now with nothing as much as I am with, with all the things that I have now. It wouldn't make that much difference because what I've learned along the way is that happiness isn't, just doesn't come from the money. It comes from you. It comes from within. Mm, so true so final thing and I hope it's not too personal is I just love watching you and your husband's relationship on social media it just brings me so much joy seeing you travel together and with the twins and I remember you once did this post saying that people had told you that you couldn't have a relationship that was like something out of a, a kind of a Hollywood film a, a, a rom-com and that yeah. that wasn't true and you and you could how impactful has that relationship been on the business and like what do you think a healthy dynamic looks like with doing like your line of work and sustaining a relationship yeah it's been massive it's, it's had a huge impact on the business I couldn't do what I do now without my husband doing everything else in my life including looking after my children who aren't even his um you know that's the that's the crux of it and it really is true people told me I've been married three times and people told me my whole life, I had this big idea of what, what romance is like and what a perfect relationship is like. I'd watched way too many rom-coms as a child. And people kept telling me it's not like that. And like, it's normal to be arguing all the time. And it's normal to, to not be head over heels in love all the time. And, and I settled twice because of this advice that I was constantly given that you have to work really hard at your relationship. You know, it's a every day you have to work at it. It's an effort and all of this. And I believed it. And so, and so I did. And it, none of it was true. I was just settling all the time. And then when I met Sam, I realized that's what it should have been like the whole time. And that I had been settling. You know, we don't argue. We don't, we have very different opinions on things. That doesn't mean we need to argue about them. We, he, like, there's no competition. I think what makes a healthy dynamic is having no competition. And I think I've been in relationships before where one's always trying to get one over the other. You know, like, I do more work than you, or like, I'm better at this than you, or you've been out two Saturdays, so it's my turn to go out. And there's this whole competition element. We don't have that. Like, both of us would rather the other person be happy over our own happiness. And that makes everything easier because we will always do what's best for the other person. And if two people are doing that, it makes for a great relationship. And 
we just I just think we're really really lucky to have found each other and that he is the kind of man that doesn't feel emasculated that he's the stay-at-home parent and that he works for me he, he loves it um and yeah it just it we're a team and it just works because we're a team and people say but you work together and you live together and you're always on holiday together like don't you get fed up with each other and the honest truth is it's been nearly 10 years now no like I still feel exactly the same every day as I did on day one and I think I always will mm. It's so nice. Lisa Johnson, you are an inspiration in, in all ways, in business, in your personal life, in the work that you do. Um, you've left me incredibly inspired. Thank you so much for sharing your story today and lending all your insights and advice. If people would like to sign up um, to any of your courses or find out more about you, where should they go online? Um, the best place to go would be lisajohnson.com. There's a freebies section on my website with a load of free stuff you can have, um, some that we used to charge for, some that is now free. Um, so, yeah, do go on there and download anything you want, and then you will be in my world, and I will see you in there. But thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get new episodes delivered weekly and follow us on social media at Jelly Malin. If you benefited from this conversation, we'd love you to leave a review and rate the podcast so more people can find it. Today's podcast is brought to you live from Runway East, who are kindly sponsoring this series of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. I'm recording today at their state-of-the-art studio on Old Compton Street in Soho, and honestly, what an incredible place. As well as podcast studios, Runway East offers office solutions to businesses of all kinds. They do flexible contracts, and there's workspace options for everyone, from big branded offices to flexi co-working space. If you're interested in joining a super trendy co-working space, they've got sites in London and Bristol, with new New ones opening later this year in Shoreditch and Whitechapel. Come here for cake Wednesdays and drinks trolleys on Fridays and stay for the free coffee. Give them a follow on social media at Runway East. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.